Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 592 for the 18th of Tomos in a regular year. So one of the most groundbreaking areas of research in the world today is the study of longevity, the study of aging. Why do we age? And is there a way that we can reverse aging? Is there a way that we can halt aging, that we can prolong our lives, uh, live longer than previous generations, maybe even to the point of immortality? So of course, this isn't a new idea. This is something that people have spoken about pretty much since time immemorial immemorial, right? People have have tried to think about, is there an elixir of life? Is there some kind of fountain of youth of some sort, some secret to not die, to be able to live longer and longer? And what's interesting about this is that at first glance, while this might sound really appealing to a lot of people, there are some people that when you bring this idea up to them, they actually don't find it very appealing. They'll actually kind of make a face. Like I've had this experience when I've, I've spoken about these longevity studies to people because it's an area of interest of mine. And they kind of say, live till 200? Why would I want to do that? Uh, that doesn't sound interesting at all. So then I, I become curious and I ask them why. And they say that, you know, they're picturing like themselves as a, a really old person, like 80 years old or something like that. And they feel like the quality of their life would really not be great. And so the idea of living as this like older person who isn't very mobile and isn't very well and to live like that for another hundred or so years, like just doesn't really appeal to them. So I totally get that. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that one thing, first of all, to keep in mind is when we talk about these longevity studies, the idea is not just to like live forever or live for another 100, 200 years just for the sake of living. The idea is that you want to have a good quality of life. You want to be youthful. You want to be happy and everything. But I think these people are really picking up on something very, very profound, which is something that we're going to be discussing in today's Tanya, which is the idea that life in and of itself is not necessarily, like not all life is equal. <laughs> like there's different quality of life. So I just recently listened to this interview with a woman who escaped from North Korea and she was just describing the whole situation in North Korea and what it was like and how the worst part of the oppression in North Korea is not being aware that you're oppressed is not realizing that there could be something better, that there could be something greater, not understanding that what freedom is. And she really had to learn what freedom was. She thought that everybody was starving in the entire world. Even when she would look at pictures of Kim Jong-un, like their leader, and she saw that he was fat, she still didn't realize that being fat meant that he actually had food. She just thought that being starving was the natural way of life. So this is the topic of today's episode, is this idea that not all life is equal, that there are different ways to live, that there's different qualities of life, and 
just because a person is alive, is <clears throat> is living, walking around and breathing and their heart is running, it doesn't mean that they're living their utmost life. It doesn't mean that they're living in a full way. And what this translates into in terms of the Tanya and in terms of everything we've been learning about so far is that diff- depending on how you live your life, you can be receiving your vitality in different forms. You could be receiving your vitality in a more direct and manifest form from God. And then there's ways that you can receive your vitality where it's not as direct, where it's a little bit more obstructed. So this brings us to the discussion that we've been having in the past few episodes about this idea that we see that uh, there are different punishments for different kinds of sins. And when, and certain sins are liable, make a person liable for death whether by the hands of heaven or whether by the hands of the court, the human court. And the way that this is supposed to translate is that the person, such a person that engages in these kinds of transgressions should not live longer than 50 or 60 years. But yet we came up with a question and we said that we see nowadays, at least, that there are many people who live very long lives, even if they may have engaged in one or some of these transgressions. So how is this possible? So this led us into a whole discussion about life itself and what the source of life is and what what that's all about. And we talked about how it is that really a, a person, specifically a Jew, if we want to be really specific, comes directly that the source of our lives comes from the name of Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton. And the way that that name, the Yudke Vavke, gets manifest within us is through the breath of God. So if you look at the story of creation, where God spoke everything into creation, the one exception to this is this is when the, with the creation of Adam, the creation of man, which God breathed into the world. God breathed the soul of man into him. We spoke about this idea about breath and how if there's an obstruction to breath, then breath can't flow. So like we talked about like if you have like a, a window and you, you blow onto the window and it creates a condensation on the window, that's because the window serves as a hindrance to your breath flowing outside of that window. And we talked about how whenever we do any kind of transgression against the will of God, this causes an obstruction because the, the breath is coming from the innermost part of God, which means that it's coming from God's will. So if we transgress God's will, this causes an obstruction to God's will, namely to God's breath, namely to the flow of energy, the flow of vitality into us. And we use the the imagery of a rope to try to understand this better, that we can kind of think of like the breath flowing in this like rope-like manner from above to below. And so we can think of this rope as being made up of 613 strands corresponding to the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, so that every time a person transgresses one of these 613 commandments, then the little part of the rope, one strand of that rope gets severed. And if a person does enough of these transgressions, or if they do engage in any one really big transgression, which is liable for death or for excision, then this causes that total obstruction of the rope, the total cutoff of the rope, which is why they would be liable for death, right? Or excision. But then we came up with the question where we said, okay, but then we see that there are lots of people who uh, may have engaged in some kind of severe transgression like this, like they're not the best people at all. And they may have engaged in sins that really do, To if you look at the letter of the law, it would say that they're liable for excision or for death by the hands of heaven or by the hand of the court. But yet we see that they live for a really long time. They live way beyond the 50 or 60 years, which is like the maximum prescribed amount that a person who does this kind of thing would be able to live. So what's that about? 
So this is the question that we're going to be addressing today. And we're going to talk about how it is that, yes, while these people may still be living, the quality of their life is not necessarily uh, ideal. It's not, they're not living in an ultimate sense. So when we use the the term life, we're using it kind of loosely and that not all lives are equal. Just like the life of people living in North Korea is not the same as the life of people living in, um, in America, which we all can, maybe we can all understand that to a deep degree. And the way to kind of understand this is that when we look at the, the, in a very physical way, when we think about our lives here in, in, uh, in America, in North America versus the life of some lives of people living in North Korea, where are they getting their life from? Where are they getting their sustenance from? So here in North America, it's pretty much, I mean, aside, we'll, we'll put aside God for now, like, which, uh, is of course, sustenance really ultimately comes from God, but in a manifest way, people here in America receive their vitality from going to work, right? From, maybe even from charity, but maybe from starting a business, maybe having a job, whatever it is. It's in this like very like um, free flowing kind of capitalistic uh, system mixed in with some charitable donations and maybe some government services. So there's there's a whole like system as to how it is that we're receiving our, our vitality versus in North Korea, there's only one source and that source is the dictator, right? That source is the state. And everybody gets it to an equal degree. It's not dependent on merit. It doesn't matter how much you work. It's just, that's what you're receiving. So what we'll see and what we'll learn today is that spiritually as well, there's a similar idea. There are different sources through which we can receive our energy, through which we can receive our vitality from. And we'll come to understand that this is really why it is that you see that people do live a very long time today, even if they're not the best people. And this really answers kind of a bigger question that people might have as to why is it that it looks like that uh, evil people are thriving in the world? What's that about? If really everything's supposed to come from God and there's supposed to be this whole cause and effect. And we'll come to understand that it's because the the source of where they're receiving the vitality is not the same source as where we're receiving our vitality from. And what this really boils down to is the idea that what you see is not what is always, what is, what appears before you is not necessarily the truth. So you might see these people, like these people in Hollywood, for example, who are living these really extravagant lives and it looks so beautiful on Instagram, their mansions, their clothes, their faces, everything looks so beautiful, so extravagant. But really in truth, it's not as great as it seems. It's very similar, in fact, to the fact that like in North Korea, the way that this this girl was describing it, she said that even though they were living in North Korea, uh, they had no idea of their oppression. They thought that they were living the most extravagant lives. They thought North Korea was the best place to live in the entire world. They really, really believed this. They were really, really brainwashed. Obviously, once she's free, now she realizes what it was that she was missing. But at the time, she couldn't see it. So similarly too, it looks to us like these people in Hollywood, these people who aren't necessarily living the most moral lives, have these amazing lives, have this beautiful extravagance and cars and everything. But the truth is, it's not necessarily as great as it appears because where they're receiving their vitality from, sure, they're receiving some kind of vitality to allow them to sustain their lives, but it's not from the ultimate place. It's not from the best possible place versus if you live your life in such a way that is aligned with your creator, that is aligned with the ultimate will of God, you're going to receive your vitality in a much more direct format, in a much more direct 
way. Another analogy that we can think of to kind of understand this is let's say if you have a, a palace, let's say, or let's say even maybe for nowadays, we'll, we'll say like a big company, maybe that's a little bit more relatable. And you have a big company where it's the company is very rich. So it pays for these really expensive lunches every day for the workers at the company. And so the workers always get this really elaborate gourmet lunch every single day, which is really, really nice for them. But then there's the people in the background. Let's say there's the janitors, the this, the kind of people that are just have these low end jobs, the interns, stuff like that, what they're going to be getting is they're going to be getting the leftovers. They're not going to be allowed into that main dining hall with the other, all the high executives, right? They're just going to be getting like whatever is left over the scraps of it all. And that's kind of the way to understand this as well is that when we live our lives, then there's different ways that we can receive our vitality. So what this boils down to, to, to bring it back to the Tanya is that Back in the day when we still had the uh, the base of Megdash, when, when the Shechina, when the divine indwelling was still present in the base of Megdash, us Jews, we then all received our vitality in this more direct way from the source itself, from God's will itself, which is why that any time a person did something that was against the will of God, or if God forbid they would do something that would make them liable for excision or for death, God forbid, you would see it. It would be manifest because the source of their life was directly from God. That's where our our souls were receiving our the energy from. But now that we're living in kind of a lower generation where the Shekhinah itself, the divine indwelling itself is actually in exile together with us, then we don't receive our vitality in as direct a way. It's kind of compromised. We're receiving it in this more like from that like North Korean Lahav deal way. Like it's it's not it's not from the most pure source. And thus this is why, yes, you can have people who are living really long lives, living lives that superficially appear to be really prosperous. But what we don't see, what we don't see behind the scenes is that the source of this life is not ideal. And so the message for today, the practical message for today is that we actually have a choice in this manner. And we have a choice as to where we want to receive our vitality from. Do we want to receive the vitality in a more direct way or in a more backhanded kind of corrupt kind of way? It's kind of in a simple way to think about this again in, in, a, in more physical terms is do you want to get a, a legal normal job or do you want to do something kind of shady and maybe doing that thing that's shady, maybe dealing drugs or being in the black market or something. Maybe that can make you very rich. That's true. But does that mean that you should do it? What's the quality of your life go- going to be like? What kind of life? How, can, how will you sleep with yourself at night if you, if you choose to do that? Versus if you get a steady job, something legal, something good, something upstanding, okay, maybe it won't make you a a millionaire, or at least maybe not at first. Maybe it could make you a millionaire if you work at it and if you have the right muzzle and all that stuff. But it's, but it's, but at least you'll be able to have a more wholesome way of living. You'll feel it in your gut that you're, you're contributing something to the world worthwhile and it's just a better quality of life overall. So that's the intro for today. And I think now we'll get into the text and maybe it will become, all of this will become more understandable as we get into the text and um, and see how the ultra explains all of this. So this is for context. We are in beginning chapter six of Yeras Chuva, and we are leaving off from what we spoke about yesterday. And you can go back and listen to yesterday's episode to be caught up to where we are, in which we talked about this idea of how it was that back in the day, if a person were to engage in some kind of 
really severe transgression that would make them liable for excision or for uh, or for death by the hands of heaven or death by the hands of the court, they would only live up until the age of 50 or 60 years old. And how even this life that they had up until 50 and 60 years old was kind of like they were receiving the godly energy in this more makif, this more encompassing kind of way. But yet they still were receiving the vitality up till 50 and 60 years old. Now this is where we begin today. So today we say that the ultra Rebbe begins and he says that this was only this, this idea of living till 50 or 60 years old for these, when a person committed these severe transgressions only applied Back in the time when the Jewish people were on a very high level, when the Shekhinah was resting within the Jewish people in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple. And at that time, the only way that we received vitality to our bodies was through the godly soul, only, alone. So this was our, the whole source of our nourishment, the nourishment of our physical bodies was through the godly soul in an inner kind of way from the influence that came down from God, from the Ainsof, from the Infinite One, blessed be He, through the name of Havaya, as we spoke about above. So the, through the Tetragrammaton, which is what we spoke about before, that that's the source of our lives. But after we descended in level and the Jewish people, due to their different deeds and everything like that, that unfortunately we, we didn't always act in a line with God's will, this caused us to uh, to fall into exile. And this caused the this what's called the Sod Galuta Shechina, the, the secret of the exile of the Shechina. As it says, and this is from Yeshayahu chapter 50, verse 1, that through your sins was your mother banished. So meaning to say that our sins, our transgressions caused not only ourselves to go into exile, but it caused the divine shechina, uh, to the divine indwelling to go into exile as well. To the point that the uh, this influence of the aspect of the hay Right, so the last hay of the tetragrammaton, which is where we receive our influence, our influx of energy of vitality from, this this went down. This hay came down to lower and lower levels until it became enclosed in the ten spheres of Noga. So, just a little recap: we we spoke quite a bit about Klipas Noga in the first section of the Tanya way back when we were in Likute Amaram, but just to give you a little bit of a recap. So Klipa, Klipa are shells. Klipa are these husks that just like if you think about a shell of a fruit or of a, or a nut or something like that, it conceals the nut or the fruit that's inside of it. So that's what Klipa does. Klipa conceals the godliness from being revealed in the world, the inherent godliness of all of creation in the world. And there are different types of Klipas. Some types of Klipas, the three impure Klipas uh, are specifically ones that just really are totally opaque. And they do not reveal godliness at all. And there's no way to reveal godliness within them at all. But then there's another kind of klipa, which is the subject of our discussion today, which is called klipas noga. Noga is this idea of it's it's uh, translucent. So, th so that means that, they, yes, they are shells, but they're translucent. So some godliness does come through, but it's in a, it's in a, but it's still obstructed to some extent. Like it's kind of like a clear glass kind of shell if you want to think about that, which means those things which contain Klipas Noga, which is really like many, many things, if not most of the world around us, can go either way. We can elevate these things. 
for godly purposes, or we can bring them down low and use them for ungodly purposes, God forbid. One example of that is like the internet, which right now I'm using the internet to spread godliness, right? But you can also, God forbid, use the internet for not great purposes at all. So that's the idea of Klipas Noga. So Klipas Noga is kind of like this like, um, in, in a certain sense, kind of neutral territory that can kind of go either way. So it's not inherently really, really evil, but it's not necessarily as straight, as uh, manifestly good, as manifestly holy, as just straight godliness, like in its own way. There, It's still some kind of a obstruction. So this is why, going back to our text, when we talk about this idea of the exile of the Shechina and the exile of of uh, the, the divine indwelling, this is where this what this means in a kind of like technical Hasidic terminology is that the last hay of God's name, which is the source of the creation of everything in the world, descended to the point that it became enclosed in the ten spheros of Klipas Noga. Which what are the ten spheres of Klipas Noga? Like what, how does this manifest? These ten spheres of Klipas Noga, these give influence and vitality through the Mazalos, through the different um, astrological bodies and all of the heavenly hosts and the different uh, the different sarim, the different ministers that are above them, to everything in in physicality. Uh, also to the different plants as the the plant life as the saying of the rabbis go and this is from Breshis Rabbah 10.6 there's no blade of grass below that has no spirit above it that caught, that tells it to grow so okay so let, let's just take a pause here so astrology so many of you have heard about astrology and uh, maybe you believe in it maybe you don't so Judaism actually does hold stock in astrology Maybe not necessarily the modern day astrology that we talk about today, because it's who knows exactly where they're getting their sources from and things like that. But there is an idea of astrological bodies of of the zodiac in Judaism, and we do believe in this. We do believe that there's an influence of of light and vitality that comes through these different astrological bodies through the zodiac to the point that there's this this understanding that every single plant, every single blade of glass actually has a, a, a star, has some kind of astrological influence above it that causes it to grow. So this is a tool that God uses to bring vitality into the world. And the Torah and Chassidus, and this is found in the Gemara as well, really talks about this idea that really the source of vitality for every living creature in the world comes through these astrological forces, the, these astrological bodies. And that's how God brings influence into the world. The one exception to this is the Jew, actually. The one exception to uh, to to how God gives his vitality to the world is is the Jewish people. And this is why there's a phrase that we say in Mazal Israel that the Jewish people don't have a muzzle, the Jewish people don't have a zodiac, which means it doesn't mean that we don't have somewhat of an influence that these astrological forces don't have somewhat of a play in our lives, but we're able to actually transcend them because our source is higher than these things. We come from a more direct source. We don't come from Klipas Noga, we come directly from God. However, as we've been learning and and as we're con- going to continue to learn in the in the section of the Tanya today, this is actually, it is dependent upon our actions. So if we choose to live in such a way that is not so aligned with God, then this will obstruct our connection. This will obstruct the source of where we receive our life from. And then we will become like all the other creatures in the world that do receive their vitality from these astrological forces. So this is exactly what the altar Rabbi says. So he says that this is why we can come to understand that when we look at even the most like simple and 
biggest transgressors amongst the Jewish people, they they begin, they still do receive their life force, but where do they receive their life force from for their bodies and for their animal soul? They receive it the same way any other animal does, any other creature does. And this is why it says in Tehillim, chapter 49, verse 13, that they are likened and similar to beasts. So basically, this is why we liken somebody who transgresses, like uh, a, a commandment of the Torah, like transgresses the will of God, we liken them to a beast. It might just sound like we're being metaphorical and we're kind of like degrading them. But the altar rub is saying, no, it's actually quite literal. That It's actually like if somebody transgresses the will of God, what they're doing is they're putting themselves on the level as of everything else in their creation and they're aligning themselves with astrology. They're, they're cutting themselves off from their source and they're choosing instead to receive their, their source from this like subpar kind of way, which again, to kind of bring, make this more um, maybe relatable in a modern day way is like if somebody is working at a regular job and then someone, someone gives them the opportunity to work for some illegal corporation, some illegal in some illegal kind of business. So if they do that, they can do that. And yes, maybe they'll prosper, but that means that they're going to be cutting off their life force from the more legal way. They won't be able to do both. Ultimately, one's going to win over the other, right? And not only this, says the ultra, but not only are they receiving the vitality in the way that these other creatures receive the vitality, but they're actually going to receive it with even more emphasis and, and greater force. As uh, is explained in the Zohar and Parshish Pekudai, that all of the influence and the vitality that comes down to lower man when a person does evil to God, so something that does somebody, anytime somebody does something that's against the will of God, or that's, that is dis, that is distasteful to God, whether it's in action or in speech, or even in thought, if somebody is thinking about a transgression, this itself is something like that, then this will cause that his life force is going to come to him through the various chambers of the Sitra Achara, of the other side, which are explained there in the Zohar, in the Holy Zohar. And then the Altarabah continues and he says that man is a creature of choice. We, so we can choose. Do we want to receive our vitality from the chambers of the Sitra Achra, from the other side? Or do we want us to receive our vitality from the holy chambers, from which all of the good thoughts and holy thoughts come from? And God made everything in this parallel way. So in Kohelas, chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Zelu matze asa ha'elokim. So this opposite this did God create. So it's like everything that exists on one side exists on the other side as well. So there's vitality that we can receive in a holy way and there's vitality that we can receive in a non-holy way. And we choose, we can choose, do we want to get our vitality from Kim Jong-un, God forbid, or from not the president of the United States necessarily, but from, you know, from a, a more free economy we have that choice here in America. And now the ultra Rabbi concludes here and he tells us, he reminds us that th these chambers of the Sitra Akhra, they receive and suckle their vitality from the, the 10 spheres of, of Noga, of Klipas Noga, which is made up of good and bad. And this is the idea of the Etzadat, the tree of knowledge, as is known to the students of Kabbalah, the Yod Eichen in Hebrew it's called. So, 
it kind of ends off on a little bit of an obscure note, but just the way that I'm understanding that is just that it's basically it's it's like it's it's not it's it's not so clear, you know. And this is why it's like when you see people who don't live the best, the most moral lives, they may live for a really long time, and they may actually have what looks like on the outside to be pretty good lives, because some of it might actually be good. It's just it's going to be an admixture because it's coming from Klipas Noga. They're receiving the vitality from Klipas Noga, which as th through the mazalos, through the astrological bodies, versus if if a person chooses, on the other hand, to live aligned with their creator, aligned with God's will, they're going to receive the vitality in a much more uh, direct format. It may not look so like flashy on the outside, but it, it's it's much more substantial. It's much more wholesome and real. You know, this reminds me of that quote from Lord of the Rings, which says, "All that is gold does not glitter." And that's kind of like a play on the other uh, more famous phrase, which says, all that glitters is not gold. So it's like what appears to us to be really fancy and flashy on the outside is not necessarily the best. It's not necessarily the true gold. So that is it for today. And we will continue with this tomorrow when we conclude chapter six. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.